0: Thanks for joining us on the new beginnings podcast where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. My, my buddy Shane Willard is here today and we were just kind of trying to do the math. We think he's been coming here for about five years. So how many of you have ever seen Shane Willard before? I should have done that. Let's do it the other way. How many of you have never seen Shane Willard before? Okay. Oh, wow. A lot of you. Okay. Um, so yeah, Shane Willard is a, uh, a, a dear friend of mine, known him for, for several years now, and uh, one of the most incredibly gifted Bible teachers that I know. He's my favorite Bible teacher. If there's anybody I need to listen to, it's just throw in Shane and listen to Shane for a little bit. Fantastic um, Bible teacher. He'll tell you a little bit more about himself, but let me, let me pick up on the highlights. Number one is this, the man travels the world literally. Um, he, I think he only lives in his actual home. Seven weeks out of the year I don't know Something like that I mean the man literally travels He's like well I'm in three months This country And three months in this continent And then he's He just It's all he does is travel And do what he does here So it's a real treat For us to have him And the other thing I'd like to tell you about Is that he is a product junkie Um which is different, because most guest speakers, they travel with like one sermon per year, that's all they got, <laughs> and then, and then they spend all year writing the sermon for next year, and then they travel and just that's, that's not Shane. Shane. Shane clearly has a thousand sermons back there on the product table. And what he does is, is that he sells this product, and all of the money from this product grows directly into orphanages and rehabilitation centers. It's the most incredible thing. he'll probably tell you about it here in just a second. But anyway, just, just give him a big warm welcome from New Beginnings would you, my friend Shane Weller. Thanks, Thank you very much. Genesis chapter 4, if
1: you'd like to follow along in the Bible, I want to talk to you this morning. Into, I want to speak right into your series on soul detox. Um, it's an honor and privilege to be back with you with um, one of my best friends in the world. and um, you know, It's good to have um, my good friends here with me, uh, David Sain. Um, He. he I, I was thinking about it back there. I was just waiting to come out. I thought, man, 18 years ago, I was doing youth conferences with David Sain, and those kids that we were speaking to 18 years ago could feasibly have kids in a youth group now. And it's sort of, you just go, wow, it's like amazing. And my friend Joey McIlvain's here. was a great youth pastor out in Manteca, and um, he drove down today to spend the day with us. And of course, my friend Errod Scultz, who, uh, if you're wondering who Errod is, just want, just ask yourself the question, who's the loudest guy in the whole room? Who's the guy wearing orange when no one else is? Who's that guy? Um, that's my friend Errod Scultz. Flew all the way from Johannesburg to be here today, and I think that deserves a hand right there because that is as far <clears throat> as um as Pastor Todd said, um, uh, afterwards, uh, my resource tables back there. If you can't find my resource table, seek medical attention because it's taken up <laughs> half the back of the room. Um, 100% of what we make back there today, we're going to give to mentally handicapped children in China. Uh, I think that's a pretty good deal. What I'm asking you to do is to come get something that will change the way you look at God forever. And in so doing, you put something in our hands that helps us feed, close, shelter, educate mentally handicapped children in China. It's the only way we keep our orphanages going and doing that stuff. We, we have four or five new ones since the last time I was here. Um, As Pastor Todd said, I try to really endeavor. I I write new things. uh, I try to read and study and write two hours a day. That way I'm never the guest speaker that, oh, he's just got this one thing to say. No, no, no. We want to really seek the Lord and we want to come around and always have something different to say. So come on back there. Uh, Say hello. Everything is available in four formats. CD, DVD, USB, and direct download. Okay, so I can actually make it appear on your phone. Um, Or if you're like, Shane, what is that? I'm not an astronaut. Don't worry. We've got CDs. We've got DVDs. We've got all that kind of stuff as well. All right? Uh, Or you can just go get your nine-year-old before you come to the table. We'll show. It's fine. It's no worries. So, I want to talk to you this morning into your series on soul detox. I want to talk to you about being set free from envy, jealousy, and comparison. To get these things out of us. Now, as soon as I say that, everybody should sort of perk up because we all sort of deal with that. Let me try to put language around that because anytime we say something big and we don't have language, it's frustrating, right? So if I said we need to get rid of envy, no one's going to disagree with that. No one's going to be like, no, envy's good. No, we wouldn't do that. But if we don't have language around it, it kind of can be frustrating. So here's what I mean. All of us have been guilty at times of looking right and left instead of in and up to get our value. So we determine where we are instead of looking in and up, we look to our right and to our left, and that is prison. I do not remember who said this, but it did stick in my mind. And I like it and I think it sticks, so I want to say it to you. It's, it's, when we look right and left instead of in and up, we get stuck in the land of earth. So bigger, better, smarter, fitter, thinner, this kind of stuff. Richer. And there's a couple problems with that. One is if you look right, there's always going to be somebody more er than you. More fit, more rich, more... They're going to be that kind. But for every richer, there's a... Poorer. And for every smarter, there's a dumber. And for every fitter, there's a fatter. So, so the problem is is that when we, look, when we look right, we feel inferior. But when we look left, we feel superior. And that doesn't help us at all. The other problem with that is it creates prison. Because for every er, there's always an est. Right? So, so in other words, you might get er, but you'll never get est. Let, let me explain what I mean by that. So let's say you live in Livermore. And you have uh, a three bedroom, two bath house uh, with nine foot ceilings, which, by the way, puts you in the richest 1% of everybody in the entire world, right? Three bedrooms, two bath, nine foot ceilings in Livermore. Wow. Like, wow. And then you get invited to someone's house and they're richer than you and they have 14-foot ceilings, right? So you walk in and they're like they're like 14-foot ceilings like, "Wow." Wow. It's like, "Whoa, man," right? And you're only there for 3 hours, right? And so here's what you do. Is you go back to your home 3 hours later and it's a home you were perfectly fine with. I mean, you were perfectly fine 3 hours ago and now you walk in and you're like ducking, you're like all constricted, right? And, You're like, you know what? No one should ever have to live in this kind of squalor. No way, no way, no way. I'm going to dedicate my life to getting richer. So you do. You do. And then you buy your 12, 14-foot ceiling. And and you know how it works. As soon as you get a 12-foot ceiling house or a 14-foot ceiling house, you're going to meet someone who's richer than that. And then it's going to be like, well, that's never ending. As soon as you buy a 20-foot boat, you're going to meet someone with a 26-foot boat. Then you buy the 27-foot boat, and you're going to meet someone with a 31-foot boat. It's how it goes. The more you try to get er, the more you realize you're never going to be est, prison absolute prison. And it creates a real problem. The biggest problem is, is that getting stuck in the land of Ur cultivates an environment that is conducive to envy. And that gets dangerous because envy destroys families, destroys neighborhoods, destroys churches, destroys kingdoms. Kingdoms have risen and fallen because envy, jealousy, and comparison got into somebody else. so I know if it's true for them, it's been true for us. And I want to, I want to give us some tools uh, to deal with that. Uh, This is so ubiquitous to human beings that actually it appears very very early in the biblical narrative, this is Genesis chapter four, literally the first time two people were trying to relate to somebody right and and it 's and it's something that we 're very familiar with because it 's one of the first stories we teach our children because it 's very early in the book and it has a good moral like don 't kill your brother right and so we teach this story um, very early, and this is Genesis chapter four. This is a story of of um, Cain and Abel it says that Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant, gave birth to Cain and she said with the help of the Lord I brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the Soil. So, so obviously the Bible's skipping a whole lot of details here. They were born and now they're farming, right? So if, 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 if you ever, you know, when, when people say, oh, everything we need to know is in the Bible. Uh, no, um, I'm skipping a whole lot of details. If you need proof that men put the Bible together and not women, that's it, right? Because women, women would have had more questions like, what happened? Were they cute? Let's go, no, no, no. They give birth, they're working the soil, right? In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So Cain brings some of the fruits of the soil. That's a critical to the language. But Abel also brought an offering, but he brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now these are two very different offerings. One brings vegetables, one brings um, animals, one brings some, one brings the fat portions from the firstborn of the flock. Uh, now the Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. Now that is weird because... Um, at this point in history, there was nothing written down about what God expected. How can you get on to somebody for bringing the wrong, wrong offering? If are, are we supposed to assume that God prefers meat over vegetables? I mean, what are we supposed to presume there? And actually, later in Leviticus, it says that vegetables are an appropriate offering if you're a farmer, which makes total sense. The idea in this story cannot be the content of the offering. The idea is the condition of the heart of the person who gave it. Cain's just giving some of the fruit of the ground, while, while Abel's giving the first portions from the fat portions from the firstborn. Of his flock. These are two very different heart attitudes um, when it comes to giving. So Cain was very angry and his face looked downcast. Now, watch the Lord's response to this. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? I want you to notice that when God confronts Cain, he doesn't confront his offering. How could he? There was nothing written down about what to give. You can't say you gave the wrong offering. No one knew what to give. He confronts his mood. He walks in and says, Why is your face downcast? What's going on with your face? Now, if you're a parent or a or, or a boss or, or or a church leader, if you're anything, especially if you deal with teenagers, there's gonna be times, there have been times where you've walked into the house and you would look at them and it's just we would say it this way, it's written all over there. Yeah, you've lived this life, right? And so, and so out of compassion, what do you do? You say, Hey, sweetie. Hey, hey. What's the matter? And what do they always say first? <laughs> Nothing, right? You've lived this life, right? Now, Everything in you at that point wants to go, nothing, really? Well, tell your face that. Because here's the deal, right? If what's going on in your face is happening in your heart, we got a real problem. I can't see your heart, but I can't see your face. And if what's going on in your face is going on in your heart, we got a real, real problem. That's what's going on here. God says, hey, what's going on with your face? What's happening with your face, man? If your face... if Your face... It's telling me something that's going on in your heart. And this is not something that you can play with, Cain. This is not innocuous. This is something that will, will hurt you really bad. Watch what he says. If you, do not, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. And it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God, God does this. He, flip, he pivots. He flips the script. He goes from offerings to what's going on in your heart? Hey, hey! this envy and jealousy that I'm seeing in your heart, this is not something that you can muck around with. This is not something that you could just act like, oh, it'll go away. No, no, this is something. He uses an ancient Near Eastern predatory metaphor. This is something that will eat you alive. And I would say that the same thing is true for us today, and that is this. It, it, that is this if we don't deal with envy, jealousy, and comparison in our soul, it will destroy us eventually. It is not something that has just a little effect. This is something that, if you let it go, will eat us alive. Now, now, if you, you know the story because we went to Sunday school, but if you if you don't, it ends very poorly. Watch what happens. Next slide. Uh, now Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let's go out to the field." And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This this ends very, very poorly. Now, a couple of observations uh, for us today in terms of dealing with it. Uh, One, envy and comparison lead us to violence. And that's the problem. The problem with envy is envy is very difficult to deal with. Why? Because one, it promises something it cannot deliver. It says if you do violence, you'll get what you want. And that is almost never true, but that's what envy promises. Envy says if you hurt someone else, you'll get what they have. Almost never true. Uh, uh, Actually, pretty much absolutely never true. Let, Let me illustrate this, right? So so, there'd be a high school around here somewhere. And in that high school, at least once a year, guy number one beats up guy number two, right? So, guy number one commits an act of violence on guy number two. And what's it almost always about? It's always, always about a girl. Yeah, see, right? So, what happens is, here's how it goes, right? Guy number one is dating said girl. Guy number two swoops in and steals said girl away, presumably with his six-pack of abs. This The, the, the girl, see, once you're 40, your abs just let go. It doesn't matter. But, but in high school, it matters. You're like, hey, right? So, so the girl goes with guy number two. Guy number one gets jealous, right? And what does he do? He commits an act of violence on guy number two. He beats guy number two up. Now, what's his goal? Is his goal to beat a guy up? No. His goal is to re-win the affection of the girl, right? And here's what envy says. Envy whispers in your ear and says, hey, hey, if you beat that guy up, you'll get her back. Now, is that true? No, you're not going to re-win her affections by committing violence, right? So you go over there and you beat this guy up, right? The girl is not automatically reattracted to you. And if she is, <clears throat> leave. She's Looney Tunes, right? Girls shouldn't be attracted to acts of violence, right? So what happens is, with envy, is envy says, if you do violence, you'll get what you want. My friend, Erod Skoltz, he's here today from... Uh, from Pretoria, South Africa, and I can tell you, when I was there, um, there was a guy named Malema who riled up a lot of people and said, Your, "Those people have more than you, and the way to get what they have is to burn the city buses." And so this was going on while I was there. And so the idea is, is, is. If you, if you commit violence, you'll get what you want. And some people did that. They didn't realize and think through they were actually burning their ride to work, right? And, 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 and that's a problem, right? So, so no one told them that, right? But envy is very difficult to deal with because it promises something it can't deliver. It says, if you do violence, you will get what you want. Almost never true. Almost never true. When we think that someone else has something better, it leads us to envy and violence. What we find with envy is is normally reasonable people. People who are normally reasonable. They rationalize violent behavior when envy is... If you know someone who's normally reasonable and you see them acting out in violence, there's almost always envy and jealousy underneath that. Think about it in your own life. Think about it. Think about it with somebody else. This has happened to you. You have actually done it. Like, have you, ever, have you ever been working in an office situation and all the people you thought were your friends suddenly are coming against you and you can't think of anything you did and then you realize you got the promotion? And it wasn't anything you did, it was that they didn't get the promotion and so they start lashing out. It's happened to you. There's been times where we have secretly wished someone who has more than us would suffer a little bit. There's, and this is where it gets dark where, where we secretly, we would secretly celebrate if we saw someone else suffering. We wouldn't announce it because that would be weird. But we would secretly, this is that thing in us that when we hear big guys are having, are, are, are very successful people, are having, um, having success and then we hear that they're going through something, we go home and Google it so we can read about it. We love that stuff. Why? Because when somebody who has more than us suffers a bit, something in us really likes that. That is nasty, dark, dirty, soul detox worthy stuff you got to get that out of us Um, this happens gradually and sin is crouching at the door and desires to destroy us this is happening everywhere I've been guilty of it you've been guilty of it you've had it done to you I've had it done to me I mean I know this might surprise you but as a traveling person who does nothing but speak week after week after week after week sometimes I show up and somebody has started a rumor about me that's not true and you look. I mean, if I'd done ten percent of the stuff I've heard I've done, I I, I would be I don't know a flipping hero or something. I and, and I, I look at it and I go, wait a minute, what's driving this? And oftentimes people want what you have, and so they think. Here's what envy does. Envy can convince a totally reasonable person that if you do violence, you'll get what you want, and that makes it very dangerous. It happens all over the place. Look, this is up next slide. So this is. These are just some biblical examples, like. <clears throat> Like, there's this three of these happen in one family. Like, there was this one time, there was this um, guy named Abraham, and he was married to Sarah. And God says to them, Hey, um, I'm going to give you a kid. Now, evidently, Sarah was way, way, way past menopause, right? So this isn't going to happen. And so Sarah says, You know what? I'm way past my childbearing age. You can't do this. I think what God means is for you to sleep with that younger woman, right? And so, and so Abraham ends up sleeping with this younger woman. Now, don't get mad at Abraham. It was his wife's idea. And it was all out in the open. And I'm sure he did it under extreme duress. What? No? A younger woman? Variety? No. Please, please. But he does it Anyway... <coughs> He gives in because his wife was insisting. Anyway, so, so Hagar, Hagar gets pregnant. And then if you know the story, subsequent to Hagar having Ishmael, Sarah gets pregnant. And Sarah realizes, no matter what I do, I'm not going to be the mom of the firstborn. And she banishes a single woman into the ancient Near Eastern wilderness. That is violent. Jacob tricks Esau out of his entire birthright. Violence. Later in the, same, in, in the same family, Joseph, Jacob has 12 children. Joseph is his favorite. There's so many bad parenting things with this. He has, a, he has 12 children and he buys one a special coat that he doesn't get anybody else. That's crazy. And if you think about the story, Joseph doesn't do himself any favors, right? He does things like call family meetings and he says, hey guys, I've had a vision from God and in my vision I'm standing and you're bowing, right? And of course they're going to kill him. Why? Because no one likes a vision where you're standing and they're bowing. And so you have 11 normally reasonable people rationalizing selling their brother into ancient Middle Eastern slavery. And the thought was, was if you get rid of him, your dad will love you more. Is that true? No, the dad just lives in grief. If Sarah does violence to Hagar, is suddenly she the firstborn mom? No, she just does violence. Saul tries to skewer David because David got popular. So Saul tries to skewer him. He misses, but here's the thing. Envy Saul, a normally reasonable person, capable of running a, a country, Saul gets envy in his heart, and he says, you know what, I'm going to get rid of this. And his and envy says, if you get rid of David, you will win his popularity back. Is that true? No, you just martyr him and he gets more popular. Envy and jealousy lead us to violence. And here's the problem. It promises something it cannot deliver. It says, if you do violence, you'll get what you want. And it's a very powerful, irrational thought that all of us have had to wrestle with at, at times. Now, let, let's have a working definition of this so we know what we're doing. Uh, one, envy is desiring some quality, status, power, success, or happiness that another person has. So you look at them and you think, I want that. I want the 12-foot ceilings, not the Nine foot ceilings. I want the fifteen foot ceilings, not the twelve foot ceilings. I want the thirty four foot boat, not the twenty eight foot boat. It's, it's that. But then it goes a step further. Envy desires them to fail or suffer because of it. Envy is that thing inside of us that says if it, we secretly celebrate when someone else is suffering, we secretly celebrate. If we heard as such and so was going through this, we secretly celebrate it, It's not out in public because it's, it's it's difficult, right? Envy is not about the object. It's about the person. And that's where it crosses the line. Envy doesn't just say, I want what you have. Envy says, I'm willing to endure you going through pain so I can get what you have. And it gets ugly very, very fast. Let's say it this way. Envy is widespread because it's the easiest to hide and the hardest to admit. Years ago, the church gave us something called the seven deadly sins. Essentially, the seven habits of the heart that are, that, that are the most threatening to a Christ-centered community. All right? So the seven habits of the heart. Now, if you have a small group of people that are participating with you in your redemptive process, and you should, right? If you don't have two or three people that know everything about you and you can bring everything out into the light with them with no fear of judgment, darkness will overtake you, right? And so you need to have a couple of those people. If you're putting all your stuff on Facebook, that's just foolish. But if you don't have a few people, it's a problem. Now... You, you take that small group of people, and if you confess any of the seven deadly sins to them, uh, they're not going to judge you. Uh, it's common to everybody. So if you said, guys, I got an unclean heart. I got to get this out. I don't want this festering. I, I had a pride problem this week. I thought too highly of myself. Look, no one's going to judge you for that. No one's going to be like, oh, really? Ooh. No, no. They'll be like, hey, thanks for sharing that. Let's pray about that. Let's get that out in the open. Let's, ha- let's get it into the light. Let's make sure that doesn't have power over you, right? If you were to say, guys, this week I lusted, you know, I had, I had a couple lustful thoughts, you know, it's just, I don't want that festering in my heart. I don't want to objectify people, right? No one's going to be surprised. No one is going to judge you. It'd be like, oh lust, hey, well, welcome to the human race. Look, if your issue is gluttony, no one's surprised. No one, no one's surprised. If you said, hey, I have a, I have a tendency to habitually overeat, no one's going to go, what, really? No, you, oh, look, really? No, your blood type's gravy, of course. We can see this, right? right? No, one, no one's going to judge you. No one's going to be surprised. No one's going to hold it over your head. No one's going to do that. But if you were to come in and you were to say, I have an envy issue, Well, there's something creepy about envy. So if you were to come in and go, guys, got something in my heart. Got to get it out. I don't want it festering in there. I need to confess to you guys. I I really, I struggled with envy this week. There's something creepy about that. It's like, ooh, envy, you, go sit at the children. No, it's, it's it's, it's a different thing. Why? Because when we admit envy out loud... It's an out loud admission that we think someone's better than us and that gets very creepy. So here's what happens. Envy's hard to deal with because it promises something it can't deliver. It says you do violence you'll get what you want and that's just not true. Second reason it's hard to deal with is that it's easy to hide and hard to admit so it festers. You keep it inside. It stays a very very private thing. The other reason it's very hard and widespread is because it's driven from everywhere. The the number one driver of, of envy is Facebook. Okay? So, so Facebook is, is a powerful marketing tool that should be used to drive your business or whatever you're trying to do. But Facebook, at the most, root, at the most basic level, Facebook is voyeurism for people's best side. That's what it is. So if right now, if you're thinking, I wonder if, if the thought hit you, you know what, I wonder how Johnny's doing. Good old Johnny from high school. I wonder how Johnny's doing. What would you do? You'd go home. And you'd Facebook search Johnny. Now, Facebook somehow has figured out which Johnny in the world you're talking about. Let's give that to him. That's pretty good, right? So, so you type in Johnny, and there's old Johnny, right? Now, you click on Johnny, and his profile comes up. Now, when his profile comes up, what do you do? Do you read his profile? Zero chance on earth. What you do is you watch and you look at his photos, right? So first thing you're going to do is you're going to go through the photos to see what he looks like now, right? And you're going to do this. Well, well... The first photo you click on is Johnny standing in front of a new BMW. The caption says, hey everybody, look at my new ride. What the caption should say is, hey everybody, look what I just did. I bought something I can't afford with money I don't have to impress people I don't like. I'm paying 8% interest on something losing 50% of its value. I'm going to be broke for years because of this. Nope. Look at my new ride. No one ever posts the car payment. Next post. Next post. Hey everybody, check out my twins. Right? Now, when people post pictures of twins, what are they doing? Eating, playing, sleeping. Right? Something like that. Smiling. Right? No one's posting the 2am scream. Get up! I lost my passy. You must awaken. No. No, they don't do that. Right? It's look at my new twins. The, The next picture. Hey everybody. Check out my new house. 12-foot ceilings, right? You're like, flip the 12-foot ceilings, right? So, so, So you look at it. You know what no one posts? No one posts the mortgage payment. No one. Next picture. He's at a nice restaurant. And the caption says, Celebrating 10 years with my sugar plum. All right? Now... When we read something like that, all of us, every one of us, envy or not, all of us go, ah, right? Why? Because we know that on Facebook you post date night, not fight night, right? We know that, right? Now, here's what happens, right? So if you're not careful, right? Here's what happens. You look at Johnny and you're like, wow. Wow. I'd love the free BMW and the cry-free twins and, 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 the, and the, the mortgage that doesn't set me back and the perfect marriage. I'd love that. Here's the problem. It's not real. And so it, it starts doing envy. It starts driving envy. Envy's hard to deal with because it promises something it can't deliver. You do violence, you'll get what you want. It's also widespread because it's the easiest to hide, the hardest to admit, and it's driven from everywhere, including social media. Facebook is so powerful. It's actually responsible for a social phenomenon they've actually named called meta-envy. Literally, envy about envy. Look, <clears throat> let, me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. I, I I turned forty this year, and something happened to me. It was weird. I, I turned. have always been a night owl. I'd always stay up late, and then and then sleep in. And I I just always have been that. I've always been sort of a night owl. Well, I turned forty. It was weird. I turned forty. The next day, I wanted to go to bed early. It was weird. It was weird. It was like, <laughs> oh, it's about nine forty-five. Hey, right? I don't know what happened, right? So at forty, I'm no longer a young adult, right? And now the truth is, I probably haven't been a young adult for years. But at forty, it's like official. You're no longer a young adult now. I know I'm not a young adult anymore because when I hang out with young adults, they do things I would never think about doing, right? So they, they, they do stuff, and I'm thinking, who would think to do that? Now listen, if you're under the age of 25 and you're in this room, I need you to listen to me right now, and trust me, I'm speaking for the whole room, okay? So everybody, if you're under the age of 25, I need you to pay real close attention because I'm going to speak for the whole room, and trust me, whether they'll admit it or not, uh, they're, they're thinking it, okay? All right, listen. <clears throat> no one gives a crap what you ate for dinner, Right? <laughs> Right, right, right. Can I get an amen about that? That's yeah, at least a clap or something, right? All right. So, so I don't know what goes through the mind of a 23-year-old where they're sitting at a restaurant and they're like, you know what? I think the whole world wants to see a picture of my burrito, right? <laughs> right. And then the guy on the other end's eating a grilled chicken salad. He can't let that go, so he's like. And then they have an unspoken contest about who gets the most likes about something no one cares about. It's envy. Envy is envy is the revelation about our darkest side. Let, let me now look. Men and women deal with envy the same, but they deal with it differently, right? So they deal with it the same amount, but it, it looks different. So, uh, so let me illustrate this with women. Uh, trust me, there's a male illustration coming because I wouldn't do one without the other because I don't want to turn half the room against me. But here, here, like, women will understand this. But, the second most awkward day in a woman's life is the, is the first year of 7th se- of grade. So, so the first day of 7th grade, right? So what happens is, is everyone's in 6th grade and everybody's little girls. And then you have like a 10-week summer break and you come back and now it's the first day of 7th grade. And what happens, I, it's unbelievable. What happens in that 10-week period of time is some of them go from girls to women and some don't. Some have started puberty, some haven't. And the ones that haven't started puberty, they're just praying to God it doesn't start in math class. Because they don't want to, you know. So, 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 you, so you got all that. Now what, what happens is, is everybody comes back from 6th grade going into 7th grade. And you're looking around, right? You're looking around. And there's always that one girl. And you, all you girls do what I'm talking about. There's always that one girl. Yes, yes, she says, see the one right there? She's like, yep, yep, I know exactly, yep. There's that one girl who developed before everybody else, right? And when I say she developed, I mean like flipped, like she developed right and and she's and the more she develops the more she develops and she's becoming the most hated girl in the whole school by the girls and the reason is is because she's getting all the attention from the the boys so the junior high dance she's got like 40 invitations and you're flat out getting your cousin to take you right right and, and you look at her and you're like, we hate her now, right? right? And the reason, why do, why do we hate her? We hate her because she developed early. She didn't do anything. So at night, you, you secretly hate her, but at night you're praying to God. You're like, please God, please God, please God, please God. Come on, come on. Please God, please God. Now, what happens is... I, I'm telling the truth. Yep, yep, yep. <clears throat> All the girls are going, yep, we know. Right? Here's what happens. You hate that girl. What has she done? She developed early. She's done nothing but that hatred, that envy sets in, and it doesn't leave. If you don't detox your soul, it doesn't leave. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. Twenty five years later, you're now forty, and you're going through the aisle at Safeway or whatever the grocery stores are, right? So, so, so you're going through the aisle at Safeway, and you turn around. You haven't seen her twenty five years, and there she is. And you're like, "Hey, you, right? You're nice on the outside, but then you notice. You, you notice she's hundred pounds overweight." Nothing's in the right place. Her hair's scraggling. She didn't even bother not to wear sweatpants out. And on the outside, you're like, hi, how are you? But on the inside, you're like, yes, you peaked in high school. (laughs) That's dark stuff. Where we secretly hope someone else struggles. Why is envy hard to deal with? It promises something they can't deliver. It says "Do violence, you'll get get what you want. It's also hard to deal with because it's easy to hide and hard to admit. It's hard to deal with... Because it's driven from everywhere. The other reason it's hard to deal with is because it's complicated. There's so many different facets of it. Let me just show you a few. Here's a comparison trap pecking order, right? So, this is the things that we face with this. So, first, there's physical envy. This is where we notice who's taller, who's shorter, who's fitter, who's prettier, who's like, this is where we start. We start noticing this about age six, and it ends about death, it never ends until <clears throat> you die. And then there's meta-envy, which is literally envy about how you used to look. Let me tell you this about men, okay? So this is this is true about every man in this room, okay? Every single man in this room does this. If they tell you they don't, they're lying. Every single man in this room does this, but they only do this if you're not looking, okay? If you're not looking, they're going to be doing this. If you're looking, they're not going to be doing this. But if if you're looking, if if you're not looking, every man in this room is doing this. And now, now some of the men in the room their heart's beating a little faster like shade not that. Not that. no no, listen, just trust me, okay? All right. They they're, they're like, "Hey, I don't know what he's talking about." No, listen, just trust me, okay? <clears throat> in the summertime Men tend, in the, in the warmer months, men tend to do their morning routine before they put a shirt on. So with their shirt off, which is quite disgusting, everybody's better looking with a shirt on, but men will do their morning routines, they'll brush their teeth, they'll shave, they'll do this kind of stuff, they'll do the whole morning routine, whatever that looks like, with their shirt off. Now, if they think you're watching, they will never do this. But if no one's watching, when that guy's done, and he takes one final look in the mirror, he is gonna flex. He's gonna flex a little bit, right? He's gonna take a look. And and here's what he's thinking. Let me tell you what he's thinking, okay? Here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, you know what? In a completely fasted, totally dehydrated state, I sort of got it going on. Now, here's the thing, right? Now... When you flex in the mirror, okay, when you, when you sort of, you know, remember how you used to look or that back in the day, right, when you flex in the mirror, it is very important when you turn away from that mirror that you do so in the correct sequence, all right? And the correct sequence is head first, body second, always, right? Head first, body second. Here's the reason why, right? If you accidentally turn your body first before your head, you're going to get a glimpse of your side profile. And that's a whole different thing, right, right? And that's happened to all of us as well. They won't admit it, but that's happened to all of us as well. Where we sort of flex, right, then we turn and get, and it's like... Oh my God, right? You sort of see... It's just entirely different. It happened to me once. This was a while back. I was uh, yeah, I was sort of like, you know what? In a completely fast, totally dehydrated state. I sort of got it going on. And then I accidentally turned my body first. I saw my side profile. I was like, oh my word. It made me so insecure. I, I, like three hours later, I met this girl for the first time. She probably thought I was a lunatic. Because I was like, hey, how you going? But then, but then uh, no matter what happened, wherever she moved, I was doing whatever I could do to make sure she never saw my side profile. So I was like, hey, how you going? Right? I was trying to stay front on, right? Right? She... She, she never called back, right? So you got, you, you got physical envy, right? Then you got, you got talent and success without considering the price they paid. So we look at someone that we see as a fairly successful, and we're like, I wish we had that life, you know? We haven't considered what they've been through. What, what, you don't consider the price they paid. Sometimes people, you know what, this, this might surprise you, but because I'm standing on this stage, sometimes people think they have a right to ask me personal questions, Right? which you don't, it's rude, right? But what happens is, is sometimes people come up and say dumb stuff to me. So they'll say, gee, Shane, you've got a cushy life. I'd love your life. Okay, well, well, um, hmm, I left home January 7th, and I'm not back till October 25th, and that's for two nights. I have to go back out. I will sleep in my own bed 25 days this year. Now, do I regret that? No. Is that a sacrifice I'm willing to make to do what I'm called to do? Yes, but it's hardly like, cushy. That's the, there's, there's a price to be paid. So we envy somebody, and we actually justify doing violence on somebody, on somebody because we think we want what they have without considering what they had, what it cost them to have it. And we do it in all kinds of areas. Well education and social circles, you know. Or we get letters behind our name, you know, or getting invited to certain tables, you know, and you go, oh, you know, now now I'm getting invited to really big conferences. And at the really big conferences, they have a green room, right? So, so, so that the, the speakers don't have to, you know, um, socially mix with the underlings. It's weird. So you go, you go to the green room. But then in the green room, there's a special green room, right? So inside the green room, there's another green room that's for like VIP green rooms. So there's even this hierarchy. And you're in the green room, you're like, who gets to go in there? I'm smarter than that guy. He goes there, like, and so you. You look at this kind of thing. It's even built into like airline miles and stuff and like these clubs and your statuses, right? So you get these airline statuses. And really, flying on an airplane is basically flying on an airplane. If you've flown on one airplane, you've been on them all. I don't care what your status is. There's one aisle down the middle. I don't know what in the world the air hostess is standing there doing, checking your boarding pass and going right down there. Your, your seat's right down there. She says that to everybody. That's the only place to go, right? Like, hey, that seat right there is right down there. And then the next, oh, it's right down there. I mean, I, like, where else is there to go? Like, I, well, of course we'd figure this out, right? So, so you have this. Now, but if you've ever flown If you've ever flown business class, it changes things, particularly international, because in international business class, you get a bed. Now, this happened to me once in New York. I was in New York going to Johannesburg. Now, if there's ever a place to get upgraded, it's New York to Johannesburg. That flight's like 17 hours long, right? And so I was flying economy for the 18,000th time going to Johannesburg, and they they pulled me to the side, and they said, Mr. Willard, this plane is oversold, which is horrible if you're flying economy, because there's no chance of an empty seat, and you could have some giant next to you. When you're flying economy, economy and you're in the plane first, you're looking the entire time going, please God, no. Please God, no. Please God, no. Please God, yes. Please, right? You don't, you don't know, right? But business class removes that, right? And <clears throat> here's the thing. If you've ever flown business class, it is unbelievable how many people a plane will hold. You're, you, you get in first and then all the underlings go go by, right? And it, is, it feels like thousands of people have walked by and you're looking back going, what in the world? How much is this? And here's what happened. They moved me to business class. Now remember, I was in economy and they moved me to business class. I've been, I, I literally was upgraded 15 minutes before boarding. I'm in economy, now I'm in business class. I'm sitting in business class so going out to board with business class, and all these economy passengers are going by me. And I couldn't help it. In my heart, I thought, schmucks, right? Right? <laughs> right? So, that, that, so that, that happens as well. You get envy that way. Then, then, you have, then you have parenting envy, where we do violence to our children because they don't measure up to other children. Right? So we do we do violence. And let me help you moms for a second, okay? Every mom thinks their kid's a genius. They're not, right? They're just normal kids, right? This was Incidentally, this was on Facebook. This mom posted this on Facebook. Somebody showed it to me after, after one of these sermons, and they said, this will fit in, and it did. There's this mom, and she said, hey, everybody, check out my little genius, right? And I thought, oh, my. So I, There's this, I guess, two years old, still had diapers, but could walk around, you know? So, anyway, so, so, so they got the kid there, right? They got, they got the kid there, and she's got this flash card, and the flash card has a big red B, and she's obviously trying to get him to say B. So she says, hey, buddy. What's this? And that kid looked at that flashcard and went, (laughs) and she went, "That's right, B." No one heard that kid say B, except that mom, right? And and while we're at it, we can talk about this. All of us hate six-year-old birthday parties. We hate them because you can't leave your kid there. You can't leave forty-six-year-olds with one adult, right? So all the moms end up having to stay, and it's because dads don't do that. And if one dad stayed, it's just creepy. They're like, "Sir, leave." It's it's the moms do it, right? And here's what happens. Here's what happens, right? So, once the six-year-olds start doing their party, the moms do what? They congregate. And somebody said drink, they drink. Yes, they drink, yes. What do the moms do? They drink, heavily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at a six-year-old party, we're drinking, right? Yeah, right. I was gonna say they congregate and they chat and they cackle, right? And here's what happens. Here's what happens. All it takes is one mom. That's all it takes. They, all it takes is one mom encouraging their kid. So all it takes is one mom going, gee, I can't believe how smart my Susie is. Wow, like she's really nailing the math homework this year. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And then what happens is every other mom has to now one-up that story to defend the honor of the intelligence of their kid, right? So, so, and it gets ridiculous. So the next mom's like, well, my kid's done with his homework for the whole week. And the next one makes up something crazy. here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Right? You, live in, you, you live in Northern California. Let me help you, okay? All right. <clears throat> it doesn't matter how smart your kid is. There's already an Asian kid in the corner who's figured out the Pythagorean theorem and how it's going to affect how he's going to put his bunk beds up. He's smarter. And here's the thing. You just let them be what they are. Because in the panic of that moment, right, you're like, oh, where's my kid? Where's my kid? Where's my kid? And your kid's the one kid in the room who's found a mop bucket, put it on his head, and he's beating his head <laughs> against the wall. And the other moms are like, hey, who's that bucket-headed kid? You're like, I don't know, I don't know. And we're denying the existence of our own children because they don't measure up to the other children. (laughs) It's violence. It's violence. Let your kids be. Their kids once. Don't compare them to other people. It'll hurt them. So we do, we have physical envy, we have we have success envy. We have education envy. We have parenting envy. We have we have next one. We have spiritual envy. Like you ever heard someone teach something and you're like, why didn't I think of that? Like they come up with stuff that's obvious, but it's only obvious after they come up with it, and you're like, Man, I should have come up with that. Or or we have or we have leadership envy, right? Where or, or we think of we think of these spiritual leaders that no matter, like, there's this guy in Australia, you might have heard of him, his name's Brian Houston, right? And Brian Houston runs the Hillsong Network. And no matter what Brian Houston touches, it turns to gold, right? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. You could tranquilize Brian Houston, drop him naked in the middle of Afghanistan, and he'd have a church of 20,000 by December. And you're thinking, well, what the heck's going on here? I love God, I don't, you know, right? And so, and so you look at that and you go, wow, right? Because all this spiritual envy, and you look at that. And so, so what happens is, is people try to attack people like that. Why? Envy. What what what's what's the lie saying? The lie saying if we attack them somehow we'll get what they have. Never true. If I woke up tomorrow and they gave me Hillsong, it would last about six months because it's not on my life to run something like that. And so we have spiritual envy. We also have um, lifestyle envy. We we have we have shows that are dedicated to showing us how other people bigger than us live. So so MTV Cribs will show you Shaq's house, second greatest center to ever play the NBA. Shaq's house, right? You say, ah ah, you know. 44,000 square feet, 13-car garage, you know. And the intimation is, is, if only you worked harder, maybe. It's like, wait a minute, no, you're not 7'2", you're not 340 pounds, you don't have 9% body fat and a 44-inch vertical leap. No, it's not going to be you. And do you actually want it to be you? 44,000 square feet, there'd be rooms you never walk in. You'd hear every noise at night. And who would clean it? <clears throat> Lifestyle. There's workplace envy. Believing the myth that the next place will have less... Like, people leave churches. You go, why'd you leave? Man, a church is political, man. They, they, they chose that person instead of me. I'm better than them. They chose them. It's all this politics. I'm going to a church with less politics. Well, okay, you go to a place with no people, no passion, no personality, you will going be a monk. What are you going to do? Right? And so, and so envy envy's hard to deal with because it's easy to hide, hard to admit. It promises something it can't deliver. It's driven by everywhere, and it's complicated. Now, now you might be thinking... Well, Shane, this was actually mildly entertaining and all this. But, and, and look, I admit that on occasion I get stuck in the land of Ur. I look right and left instead of in and up. Hey, I admit it. I admit it. Sometimes I get stuck in envy. In, in, I admit that. But you haven't told us one thing we could do about it. <clears throat> Good. Glad you asked. So let me give you two things for your heart and two things for your hands. Okay? Two things for your heart and two things for your hand. Uh, next slide. This is for your heart. First is envy. We have to realize that envy is rooted in how we see ourselves, never about what the other person has. That's the first thing for your heart. If you want the BMW, I hope you get the BMW, but I can tell you a BMW is a good thing to have, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. If you want more education, go get it. I hope you get it, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. If you want to be married, I hope you're married. I do. If you want to get married, I hope you get married. But I can tell you a good spouse is a great thing to have. Now, you marry the wrong person, you'll pray for a comet to come dirt to, to bring you sweet relief from them. But but the, but a good spouse is a great thing to have. But I could tell you if you're not enough without them, you'll never be enough with them. Like, there's no such thing as a happy marriage that was forged between two miserable single people. (laughs) Gee, we hated our life, but marriage fixed everything. No, it doesn't work that way, right? Even even if you got what they have, you would not feel better about yourself because envy is rooted in how you see yourself, not about what the other person has. That's one. Two, the simplest gospel message is that you were loved while you were imperfect and before you realized any potential in your life. That's the simplest gospel message. Message. That's the two messages for your heart. Now let me give you two very practical things you can do with your hands that will, that will solve this. The cure for, for envy is not prayer. I, I just struggle with envy. Pray for me. Now, I, look, I believe in prayer, but uh, not for this. All right, prayer is not the cure for envy. I could pray for you till Jesus comes back and you're still going to have envy if you don't deal with it. Right? This is how you deal with envy. One, gratitude for what is present in your now will break the power of envy. Now let me explain that very quickly. Ten times a day for ten seconds. Ten times a day. I'll do it in a way you remember. Ten times a day for ten seconds. Stop and be thankful for nothing other than what's in your present now. Now this sort of throws itself in the face of faith culture. Which is, we need to call things that are not as though they are. We need to go to the next level. We need to be believing God. Now listen. Hey. I'm all for that. And if, if, if you're leading an organization or family or business, you better be doing that. But that will not help envy. What will help envy is 10 times a day for 10 seconds, asking this question. If God never added one more thing to my life, wouldn't my life be pretty good? And the answer is, for everybody in this room, yes. Like, think about it. If God never added one more thing to your life, wouldn't your life be outstanding? And what if 10 times a day for 10 seconds you took note of that? I'll show you what it looks like. Lord, my my hand works. (laughs) Thanks for that. Be so weird if they didn't, Lord. My elbow works. I'm so I'm so thankful for that because if it didn't, it would make it hard to get around. Yeah, Lord, I can feel my feet against the floor. Some people can't do that. Lord, I've got a family that loves me. I've got friends in my life that care about me. I, I've I live in a country, one of the greatest countries on the earth, a country with laws that protect the weak against the strong, a country with motor cars and paved roads and stores that prepackage food for us, a a country with clean water on a tap, a machine that does washing, another machine that does drying, world-class health care. We have world-class health care. Oh, Lord, I do not have a chemotherapy appointment today. Thank you for that. If you never did anything else for me, that would be a winner. Look, once we become aware... Of what we actually have, it can break the power of envy in our life. Ten times a day for ten seconds, thankfulness for something that's only in your right now. Second thing you can do is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let me say it another way that's more memorable than that, okay? Once a week, do something for somebody that can do nothing in return for you. So here's what you do: here's how you beat envy. Ten times a day for ten seconds. Thankfulness for what's in my now. If God never added one more thing to my life, my life is outstanding. Ten times a day for ten seconds, thankfulness for what's in our now. Once a week, doing something for someone who can do nothing in return for you. Now, if you do that, here's what will happen. All of your attention will be on how good your life is and on people who have less than you. But not to compare yourself to them, but to determine your life to make their life better. And when you're doing that, envy has no place at all. There's not enough energy left to be envious. Ten times a day for ten seconds, thankfulness for what's in your now, and once a week make somebody else's life better that can do nothing in return for you. This is a practice that I've gotten into. And it has, changed. it has changed my life. I could tell you that I'm not over it. But I could tell you that I'm struggling with far less envy. When people who I see as less intelligent than me. Are getting further than I am. I used to struggle with that. And I was like oh. But, but now what I do. Ten times a day for ten seconds. Stop and be thankful for what's in my now. And then once a week. Like tomorrow I'll call my office. I'll tell them what we sold. And um, they'll figure out whatever the profit is on that. And and they're going to be feeding, clothing, sheltering, educating, mentally handicapped children in China. Who could do nothing in return for us. So here's what we do. Ten times a day for ten seconds. Gratitude for what's in our now. Once a week. Make sure you do something for someone who can do nothing in return for you. And when you do that, envy has no place to hang on. It literally has no energy to attach itself to. Because here's the thing. If envy is a practice of the heart, then so is the solution. Practicing kindness and gratitude in the secret and in our imagination can set us free from envy. And so what I want us to be is I want us to be people who are set free. Aren't just saved. I want us to be set free from the things that imprison our soul like envy. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you and we honor you and we proclaim you're king. There's none like you. Why don't you right now, let's practice what we just talked about. I want you to take the next 15 seconds and underneath your breath, I want you to be thankful to the Lord only about things that are in your present Lord, thanks for my good wife. Thanks for my good husband. Thanks for my children. Thanks for my friends, my neighbors, my family. Thanks for my business. Thanks that it's doing well. Thanks for America. Thanks for motor cars and paved roads and stores that prepackaged food for me. Thanks for world-class health care. Thank you for clean water on tap. Thank you for washing machines and drying machines. Thank you for that. Thank you. And why don't you pray the second prayer? Lord Jesus, would you put it on my mind? A need I could meet. Who's somebody's life that I could make their life better and they can do nothing in return for me? A need I could meet. Maybe you're here today and you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. You can just make that choice. If you need words to say, you could say something like, um, Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust your version of my life story instead of the one I've written for myself. And... Um, I'd love to partner with you and teach me how to live and let's do this thing. Amen. Would you look this way? Thanks so much for letting me to be a part of your morning. I really enjoy it. I always love coming back here and um, being with Todd and Tara and the, and the whole team. You guys have a great church. And I look around and it's just a great thing what you guys are doing. And keep it up. Put the hammer to the ground. Um, there's, uh, may you be people who wake up every day not just wanting to go to heaven when you die. That's boring. We want to be people who wake up every day saying yes to the infinite possibilities that God has for our life. May you do that in a soul detox, envy free. Until I see you next time. Grace and peace. God bless.
0: Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.